We're in a series on our missional priorities, our gospel witness, the, the very reason for our existence. As Christ has put us in the world to be a light shining in a dark place. And uh, so we, we have to think in terms of how do we fulfill that calling? Um, you know, it's not, it's not about, well, we want to be a good church for this or a good church for that. But, but wait a minute, are we fulfilling this calling to be lights in a dark world, to, to, to be a witness of Christ in the world? And so we've, we've covered four of the five. Can anybody name the first one for me? Gospel culture. Gospel culture. Okay. What's the second one? Gospel formation. Right. It could be formation. Well, what's that to what? Well, you know, gospel formation. What's the, what's the third one? Gospel mercy. You're getting the idea. And the fourth one? Gospel outreach. So today we arrive at the fifth, final of the, the five, which is gospel unity. So if you would, I'm going to be reading three texts. And if you want to follow along in your Bible uh, and you have at least three fingers to work with, you can... Uh, Genesis 11, Acts chapter 2, and John chapter 17. Um, And we're going to begin in Genesis 11. It's a familiar story, the Tower of Babel. And we will begin there, reading in Genesis 11, verse 1. I'll be reading from the New International Version of the Bible. You can follow along in whatever translation you have or on the screen behind me. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. Literally, it's almost like a common set of words. It meant the same things to them. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why... Uh, it is, was called Babel, referencing the confusion of Babylon. Uh, Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? 
Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And then finally we'll read from John 17 from the Lord's Uh, what's often referred to as his high priestly prayer in John 17. He says, beginning in verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we come, Lord, seeking to live in the unity of the Spirit, making every effort to have the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lord, help that to be true of us and speak to us from Your Word concerning the priority of our unity as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. No man is an island is a common expression in the business world. Most businesses accomplish what they do because they're not a one-man show, despite the disproportionate amount of pay that the CEO might get. Businesses work because people come together around a common cause. The power of collaboration uh, is often illustrated quite simply, and I've got a slide that will help you see this. One plus one is greater than two. In other words, when two individuals can come together and work for a common cause, that the power that is available for that cause is greater, if you divide it by two, then each part's greater than the one that brought it, each of the ones that that brought it there. We, We see this power illustrated well in both world wars of the last century. For example, any one nation against Hitler's Third Reich would likely have failed. Working together, they accomplished what no single country could have. And no matter how you feel about the politics of it, the idea behind the United Nations is the same. If nations unite to keep peace in the world, rather than everyone working for themselves, we can keep it more effectively. We can do it more effectively. But things often break down because everyone wants to maintain sovereignty. But the reality is, if you're going to join together, some part of sovereignty has to be sacrificed. Some part of sovereignty has to be sacrificed to achieve unity. Now, understandably, I think, at some level, but many Americans, just simply because we're used to being the biggest kid at the playground, doing what we want, we don't think we should give up any of our own interests to achieve something much better than we could on our own. Our idea of unity is that everyone does what we want. We import the same thinking into the church. We're all for unity among churches, but too often that means everyone else agreeing with us. 
We should have unity in the churches. They should all, what we're thinking in the back of our heads, but not actually consciously, you know, forming into words, they should all think like we do. Then we'd all be united. And they just keep not doing that. Go figure. If we insist that we are not the ones who have to lay down our own agenda in order to achieve unity, we'll never get there. To be united with churches of this city will require a realistic assessment of ourselves that we aren't all that. I know we'd all like to think that we go to the greatest church in town and that ours is the best and we want to tell others that maybe it's the best, but reality is we don't. We might go seeking a church. I want to find the best church in this city. We move there. We want to find it. Well, if you're here visiting for that today, you haven't arrived. Just tell you up front. But the truth be told, I don't know that you could keep going and, and have arrived at any given point. That's not what we're striving for. We want to do our best to honor God and glorify God. And we'd love to be a worthwhile part of the body of Christ, but we are only one expression of Christ's body in this community. Jesus could not make it more plain. If we want the world to know that Jesus was sent by the Father and that the Father loves the disciples, then we must be made one. Gospel unity, in other words, is essential to being a faithful gospel witness. Gospel unity is essential to being a faithful gospel witness. Now, this applies within a congregation. Gospel unity here among us. For we can't love our brother or sister whom we don't interact with if we don't love our brother or sister whom we do interact with. We must seek more than the idea of fellowship. We must embrace the actual fellowship with all its warts and its difficulties and its complexities that's right in front of our face. So it applies within the congregation. But it also applies between congregations. Christian congregations must also seek unity with other congregations in the same city. We are laborers in the same field. This morning as I'm preaching here, Stephen is preaching at a church out in Seminole. Okay? Why? Because they're without a pastor right now and... And they just call on churches to see if they might be able to help out. Bruce has been there a number of times. I've been there a couple of times. Just trying to serve this church as they're working their way through the process of finding a pastor. That's what we do. There's no connection. They owe us nothing. We owe them nothing per se. It's just that we're fellow members of the body of Christ. Having lunch this week with a number of other pastors, a pastor over at Faith Covenant, Kevin Dean, be, be one of them, and, and engaging together about how we can reach this city. But that's just part of what we do as a part of our life because it's vital that we have unity between congregations. Unfortunately, the church over the last few centuries has only gotten more and more divided. Arguably, the so-called Great Awakenings have led to more division, not less. There are now about 200 denominations in the U.S., not counting non-denominational, which sometimes just means we're our own little denomination. You know, we're not going to listen to anybody else. We're, we're our own. And by the way, we're non-denominational, so I can pick on that. <clears throat> it's mine to pick on. Yeah. There's approximately 45,000 denominations worldwide. 45,000. One might wonder if we're heading toward a saturation of one denomination per person. Just, Simplify things. 
Definitely would simplify things. I'm not talking about a need, however, just to be clear, for institutional unity. As if we all become one denomination, then we'll have achieved unity. That's not what I'm talking about, because one, that wouldn't really accomplish that. And, and that's not the goal. I mean, at that point you have to ask, who's unity? I mean, which one gets to be the one, right? All of a sudden you're, you're picking fights again. I'm talking about a unity of difference. That's kind of not a word. That's different with an S on the end, and I realize it won't fall in the dictionary, but I think we can use it in an understandable way. A unity of difference. Different people that have come together. Different churches that are willing to unite together. And, the, and, and, and that unity doesn't eliminate their differences, but it's, it's still a true unity. An ability to work as one despite our differences. I mean, after all, it, it takes nothing supernatural for us to work with people who think the same way we do. There's nothing supernatural about that. Dividing off and doing our own thing, there's nothing supernatural about that. It does take supernatural power to work with people that we have a lot of disagreements with. And in a loving way, and for a common cause. So we're going to look at this topic today, gospel unity, under three headings. The power of unity, the spirit in unity, the witness of unity. Let's begin under the power of unity. In one of Charles Schultz's Peanuts cartoons, Lucy enters the room demanding that Linus change the channel on the TV. Linus responds, what makes you think you have the right to walk in here and take over? Lucy says, well, these five fingers. <laughs> you know the scene, right? Yeah. While individually, uh, eh, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this, they become a weapon that is terrible to behold. <laughs> to which Linus says, uh, what channel do you want? <laughs> and then Linus looks away from Lucy and at his own fingers and he asks the question, why, why can't you get organized like that? <laughs> Churches, why can't you get organized like that? Somebody's phone is up here dinging, um, just for the record. I'm assuming, I don't want to embarrass anyone specifically, but somebody on the worship team, <laughs> their phone is up here dinging. So if you want to embarrass yourself and come up here and get it, feel free, or maybe it'll stop, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> not you, you're doing it on behalf of somebody else. Okay, yeah, likely story. Yeah. <laughs> um, very good. That's a leader right there. Willing to take the hit for somebody else. I love it. <clears throat> um, the Tower of Babel story that we read a moment ago illustrates the power of unity. If you have the same language using the same set of words, meaning the same things, if they have, it says, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible to them. Now, we, we, we clearly think of that story as a negative story because obviously their intent is negative. Their intent is wrong. But think of the positive power that's talked about there. That could be harnessed for good, but instead it's harnessed for wrong. If they have the same language using the same set of words, meaning the same things, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible to them. 
We, we might illustrate it this way. So I've got a few slides. Let's walk through this. The first one, this represents no unity. You've got one, you've got one. They're both doing their own thing. That equals two. Okay? Yeah. No, no real change. Simple collaboration we looked at earlier, which is one plus one is greater than two. That's when they're actually united on the same cause. And we see this illustrated in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good, or you could translate that, should translate that, I think, better return for their labor. Two are better than one because they have a better return for their labor. Okay, so back up if you would. So if you, if you think about that, what it's saying is when you put the two together united on the same cause, it actually produces a better return than just the two working individually. Okay, next one. The, now, the, when you look at this one, I'm using seven. You may remember the seven uh, prophetic messages to the churches in Asia Minor that we covered in, in the book of Revelation. Seven's a number of completion, and, and that... There are seven churches that have letters written to them there, not because there were only seven churches in Asia Minor, but seven was sufficient to represent the whole. Okay, it's a, it's a, a symbolic number in biblical thinking. And so I'm using seven as not just one plus one or another one or another one, but representing the whole. If the churches of St. Petersburg is the example, or the churches of the world in the whole mission, but if we can unite together for a common purpose, it's... Those two things, that's the mathematical equivalent of much greater than, much greater than seven, or the, the whole. In other words, if, if you go on, and, and we have that verse from the Tower of Babel story, but go to the next slide, and this one's a little complicated, but if you just look at the simple principle, seven added together, or the whole, divided by that number, is still much greater than just the one plus one. That is still you know, greater than, than two, but divided by two, it's significant, it's exponentially greater to have complete unity. And we see that in John 17, the text we read earlier, and we'll get back to in a moment. At Babel, the power of unity could have been harnessed for much evil. For the church, the idea is to harness it to produce much good. Now, if I were the devil, and some of you might think I am, but I'm, I'm truly not, but if I were the devil, I'd, I'd want to make sure that the church never got together and learned to understand each other enough to work together, because if they did, I couldn't stop them. Today, both in the church and outside of the church, people who speak the same language can't work together to save their lives, which is exactly what's at stake. Now, unity... It's not inherently a Christian thing. We saw that with Babel, obviously. Businesses are beginning to understand the power of collaboration, and some are harnessing it for greater profit. It's time the church wakes up to its calling. We've actually been given the power necessary to become united, but we often fail to harness it. And that leads to our second heading, which is uh, the Holy Spirit and unity. Um, that Pentecost story that we read from Acts chapter 2. I don't know if you noticed... But it reveals how God, by His Spirit, is restoring unity, or, or understanding, the power of understanding, to this new people called the church. So that they can do what was otherwise impossible. Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. I know that we don't often see that as we're reading through our Bible, because we read one when we're way back in Genesis 11, we read the other when we get to Acts. But everything in the New Testament is fulfilling something from the Old. And you have 
people from every part of the known world. It lists 10, 10 being a complete, complete, complete picture number. It's a number of total completion. 10 places, which represented, if you look at on a map, the entire known world at the time. People from every one of those coming together, and what does it say they did? They understood what these backwater Galileans were speaking in their own language. Reversal of Babel. Why? Why would God send His Spirit to undo Babel? There must be something important that He wants done. That He would give the power of the Spirit to unite the people of God in a way that they could understand each other like pre-Babel, if you will. Well, that miracle is a sign of what God intends to do through this new community. You see, the story of the book of Acts is about how the Messiah will restore his kingdom, beginning at Jerusalem, the capital city of the southern kingdom. So we read that in, in Acts 1.8, you know, Jerusalem uh, and Judea and Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. We, we have to remember, again, think about the Old Testament story. Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah. Samaria, so Judea is the surrounding area there. Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Together they make up the entire geographical space that we know of as Israel. He's going to reestablish his kingdom beginning at the capital city of Jerusalem, then the surrounding area, and then moving to the capital city of the northern kingdom, and then taking that over. And then what? To the ends of the earth he's taking this kingdom. It's blowing out the boundaries. And that's the story of the book of Acts. In order to accomplish such an amazing feat, they're going to have to come back together in unity. They're going to have to come back together as one and be able to understand each other. And the early church did that, but I think we've lost some, a, a good bit of that in our day. It's a seemingly impossible task, but not when the Spirit baptizes them into one body, as is said in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. Not when the Spirit enables us to understand each other. To accomplish our mission of spreading the glorious reign of Jesus into the world, a pre-Babel sort of unity will be required. And Pentecost shows that. You see, our mission will require the whole church. You may not have heard of the Luzan movement or the Luzan missions movement, um, but it, it was a, an organization started back in oh, the latter part of the last century by Billy Graham, John Stott, and people of that stature in the in the evangelical world, trying to come together and, 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 and focus on mission and how the church uh, should be engaged in mission. And uh, they defined evangelization as the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Now last week we talked about how the whole gospel has often been neglected for what is considered ultimate. In other words, well... We're going to focus on the most important thing. Remember, breathing. <laughs> but we're not going to be concerned with things like eating, drinking, and other you know, important things. No, because this is ultimate. But we really kind of lose a whole gospel when we do that. And, and Jesus certainly didn't function that way, to be sure. And we're to do the works of Christ. And so, that's where our focus was last week if we, as we talked about gospel outreach. But this week we're going to talk about the whole church. The whole uh, church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. See, we can't take the whole gospel to the world. 
by ourselves. It takes the whole church. Even in St. Petersburg, we can't take the whole gospel to this community. It takes the whole church. Certainly because part of that gospel is about us being one. We will not be able to take the whole gospel to the whole world without the whole church. And that kind of unity is going to require a work of the Spirit. Paul wrote in Ephesians to the church there. um, He said, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Notice how he begins. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Live a life that matches up to the calling you have received. That's commensurate with. So what is this calling? Well, we talked about it last week. To be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. To mediate God to the world. That's our ultimate calling. To, to, to be the people that God uses to reach the world. That's our calling. But, but how do we live worthy of that? Well, we have to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, verse 3. Well, how do we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? Well, he just told us in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It's going to take humility. It's going to take gentleness. It's going to take patience. It's going to take bearing with one another in love. And then notice what he goes on to say. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The the ideas of this one is, listen, there's not two bodies of Christ in the world. There's one body of Christ in the world. You're part of each other. There's not two spirits you're filled with. There's one Holy Spirit that you are filled with. And and he goes on. One Lord. There's not two lords we worship. One faith. There's not two faiths we believe in. How about one baptism? Now, that's not talking about how many times somebody should get baptized. Well, you know, I think you were baptized before. You can't get baptized again. One baptism. That's not what that's talking about. I'm not suggesting you should get baptized several times. That's not the verse to use. I mean, certainly not what that's talking about. What that's talking about is, oh, by the way, when you got baptized into Christ, you were baptized into one body, and guess what? They got the same baptism. There's only one baptism. So you're in the same body. You were baptized by the same Spirit. The point, he's just repeating himself over and over and over on this point. In Ephesians 1, verse 1, Paul identifies the audience that he's writing this letter to as God's holy ones living in Ephesus. Now, given the time that Paul spent in Ephesus and the success that we are told about that work, according to the book of Acts, all of Asia heard the gospel while he was there. Not like what we think of as Asia, but Asia Minor today. All of Asia heard the gospel. So, given that success, we know that this is not one congregation, but many Which is why the statement, there is one body, makes total sense. He's speaking to those that are now in various different house churches across the city of Ephesus. And he's saying, you're one body. You're one body. 
the many congregations are not each the body of Christ. There is one, only one body of Christ in Ephesus. There's only one body of Christ in St. Petersburg, Florida. And we are not it. Not by ourselves. We are a part of it. Okay? So, let me, let me just help you with some kind of theological thinking here. Biblical theological thinking. First off, you are not the body of Christ. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you individually are the body of Christ. It says we are the body of Christ, or you plural, the whole group of you are the body of Christ. But even if we apply that just to us, I think we have to at least have a caveat, a footnote that says, oh, by the way, that's true, but it's true only in the sense that we're part of the body of Christ in this community. We're part of a much bigger body of Christ. There's only one body. Amen? I just want to make sure I'm not getting in trouble. Going along, I keep going, I'm already in trouble, I need to stop and back up, get myself out of trouble. The, the unity that we are called to, thank you, is the unity of the Spirit. And it will require the Spirit working in us supernaturally to accomplish it. We must, according to Ephesians 4, verse 3, make every effort to do so. We can't just wait for the Spirit to work. In fact, for a church body to not make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is to live in rebellion against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It would be, as Ephesians 4.30 says, a way of grieving the Holy Spirit. And when Paul says down in verse 30 that they would grieve the Holy Spirit, he's grabbing that, he's quoting that from Isaiah 63.10. And if you look at that verse, it reveals that there are consequences for grieving the Holy Spirit. And they are that God will fight against you. I'm not looking for that. I don't want that, right? So we have to not resist the Holy Spirit on this issue of unity. We must make every effort to to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So to say that gospel unity is a missional priority is an understatement. It's a huge priority. The, The necessity, even the urgency of gospel unity applies to both our local mission and the world mission. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, you're familiar with these verses. We've looked at them a few times during this series. And Jesus calls the disciples together, and he, and he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them uh, to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, or I'm, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Okay. No individual can fulfill that commission. You, let's just take you as, we'll take Dave. Dave is an individual. Dave cannot go into all the world. Impossible. Okay? He can't make disciples of all nations. Impossible. But guess what? No single church can fulfill the Great Commission. We have to fulfill it as a church, but we alone can't fulfill the Great Commission. We can't go into all the world. We can't even go into all this city on our own. We, by the way, this is all nations. We are in part of that. That's where we are. And so we are supposed to go here, but we are supposed to do it locking arms with the body of Christ around this city. Um, We can't accomplish world mission by ourselves either, but only in unity with, with one body empowered by the one spirit. No one among the 12 apostles went into all the world. But in the early church, 
the third century, it was taught that they had divided the world into 12 parts and went and established churches in every city of the known world. So the 12 had gone about doing that and had established the church, and then that church was just growing and, 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 and just fermenting in the places that they were. Now, if an apostle of the Lord can't fulfill it alone, certainly we can't fulfill it alone. Amen? And this leads to the power of our witness uh, when congregations live in unity. And so we're going to talk about the witness of unity. And let's read the text from Jesus' prayer in John 17 again. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That... All of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The church as the body of Christ on earth, is the hope of the world. But no single local church is the hope of the world. Nor is an ethereal church that exists spiritually, but not in real flesh and blood people, the hope of the world. It is the church. And we are going to have to work together in unity to accomplish that. Real flesh and blood people in real flesh and blood churches that do church different than we do church, that think differently than we think, but that love Jesus as much as we love Jesus. We, need to, we, we have to have unity. We need unity to be faithful gospel witnesses. Well, apart from unity, we're just like one of Lucy's fingers by itself. Right? There's nothing. But when you put them together... Unity among very diverse people is a miracle. Churches have difficulty working out differences in musical style. I mean, honestly. Like, we'll fight over whether we're singing out of a hymn book or off, you know, overhead projection. There are literally churches that that fight over that. Seriously? How are we ever going to find unity over major and important differences that actually exist? And by the way, if you came in here today wishing we were singing out of hymnals, sorry if I offend you. (laughs) Nothing wrong with singing out of hymnals or singing off of a slide projector. It's both fine, just fine. Um, Theologically, we've divided over things that sometimes feels a little bit like having a different opinion over how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. If the church can act together in unity, the world will actually recognize that it's miraculous. They really will. Culturally, incivility has begun to take over all public discourse. Imagine the witness, the light shining in a dark place that we would be if we not only had civility, that would be a step, but we also had brotherly love, brotherly affection for one another, family, sibling affection one for the other. The fastest and only path to the accomplishment of our mission is the unity of the church. We need to make every effort to get there. 
We, we won't achieve unity if we're all focused on what we should all believe. Well, we should all believe this set of things. Well, as long as we're all focused on what we should all believe, we're not going to get there. We have to focus on what we are called to do, what we can agree on that we are called to do. At the Geneva Summit in 1985, um, All the world leaders gathered together with the Cold War raging. Now, if you did not live during the Cold War, you may not be able to relate to the importance of this event. But life changed when the Cold War ended. Life changed at every level of our thinking. It changed. And during that time, Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev went for a walk with only their interpreters. Nobody else, no press. They go for a walk. The leaders of these two world powers, the U.S. and the Soviet Union, um, could seemingly agree on nothing. Everything, they just had nothing they could agree on. The the nuclear race was in full sprint. Gorbachev, in 2009, in an interview, revealed the content of that conversation, which led to a relationship between Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev. He said, at one point, Reagan asked him, What would you do if the United States were suddenly attacked by someone from outer space? Would you help us? And Gorbachev said, well, no doubt about it. And Reagan said, well, we would too. And Gorbachev says, well, that's interesting. And then he starts laughing. And that was the beginning of the end of the Cold War. Why? Because they found one thing they could agree on, even if it was science fiction. (laughs) Even if it was made up. We could agree that if we had aliens attacking us, we would help each other. Good. We can agree on something. Let's start with one thing we can agree on. And, and of course, the rest is history. We have to find those things we can agree on. Wes Lane, he was a prosecutor in the Oklahoma City bombing case uh, against Terry Nichols. But he, he believes that churches in a city should unite and asked this question. I think it gets to the heart of how do we find the things to agree on. He he asked it this way, what evil should die, or what good should thrive, because God's kids are in town? What evil should die, or what good should thrive, because God's kids are in town? I think we can come up with some answers that we can all agree on in that regard. Now, this next slide is going to illustrate the difference between two approaches. Here on the left, you know, this is the approach, and the arrows kind of point to what we're focusing on. We're focusing here on boundaries. What doctrinal things are necessary for us to work with somebody? Now, you'll see blue dots both inside the white circle and outside, but the blue dots represent anyone who could agree on, say, like the Apostles' Creed, faith in Christ, the the very basic foundational things of what it means to be a Christian. Now, obviously, they don't all agree on what we would call confessions. Creeds are one thing. Confessions are another thing. Creeds are the things that are designed, the very simple, the very short, around which we unite. Confessions are things which separate us and divide. These are the particular long list of things we believe compared to those over here. Nothing wrong with confessions. They can be wonderful things, but they serve two different purposes. When it comes to unity, we need to think in terms of creeds because When you keep your confession as the circle, you can see how small it gets. There's only three of you working together, and you don't have the unity of everybody else. Now, if we shift over here, now the focus, note the arrows are pointing at something else. We've added that one thing we can agree on. 
We've, we've added that thing that could be described as the evil that should die or the good that should thrive because God's kids are in town. Now, suddenly the circle gets broader. There are still those, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that are outside that circle. They, they can't agree, say, on Christ and, and the Apostles' Creed. They, there are basics of, of the Christian faith that they're just not into, interested in. Now, there might be some that would be on the border. They're neither Christian. I mean, they're not Christian, but they're neutral as organizations. They, they're happy to have Christians come and serve. And at times, we as Christians could lock arms with other churches and work in the platforms that they provide to do something, as long as they aren't against us being Christians and doing it in the name of Christ. But there's a lot more unity to be found over here. And if you go to the next slide, this really shows what it probably looks like more in real life, because there are a lot of different things, a lot of different things that need done in any given place to show God's mercy. And we talked two weeks ago about mercy. And so there are a lot of different things that, that, that reveal that. And so we might not all agree on one of these, but we might agree on the other three. But then somebody can agree on the others. That, that we can find things that we can unite around and work uh, together with in our own community in the Tampa Bay area. Um, <clears throat> that, that slide might be a picture of what we see in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. This is right after Paul, or soon after, Paul has addressed a conflict between two gospel workers. You might remember the conflict, Yodia and Syntyche. In fact, that whole letter keeps pointing to the importance of being united, working together. It's all through the letter. But these two gospel workers can't agree. Maybe they're in the same house church. Maybe they're in two different house churches. But they're, they're at odds with each other. And so Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I, I suspect that while we may not be able to agree on everything, we can find some true things, we can find some noble things, we can find some right things, we can find some pure things, we can find some lovely things, we can find some admirable things, we can find some excellent and praiseworthy things that we can focus on together as the body of Christ in this community and accomplish them together. Amen? Now, there are necessary boundaries, but they are limited. In, in the message on gospel mercy, we saw that unity between believers in the book of Galatians, Jews and Gentiles, unity was so important it was worth letting go of requirements that were enforced under the law. Circumcision, certain festivals, eat foods that you eat and don't eat. It's okay to let go of those for the sake of unity. But then, as we noted there, the one thing that was not a negotiable was caring for the poor. Like, they insisted, and I agree with them, that we have to, as churches, care for the poor. And that was what that sermon was about. And likewise, when we think of gospel unity, we have great freedom to do things in Christ's name with other churches. But we can't lock arms with those who are false faiths um, that, that, that are either a different faith altogether, a false version of Christianity, um, such as, say, the Mormons or the uh, Jehovah Witnesses. Um, the church is called to be a foretaste of what redeemed humanity is going to look like in the new heaven and the new earth. 
people from every tribe, nation, language, people of every different sort. And, and as that foretaste that, we need to reflect the unity that will be then. See, people will see a little of heaven on earth when the church is operating together in unity. That's why this is a vital part of our um, missional priorities. So as we go forward, we're making intentional effort as, as a church to find ways to work with churches in the city and the region to bless the world. The methods for doing this are counterintuitive. If, if we're of a mindset to build our own kingdom anyway, it's not going to seem natural to do things that don't help you build your own kingdom. Um, at times it might appear that we're working to bless other churches and not our own. But then again, it isn't our own anyway, it's Christ's. And in whatever sense it is our own, it means that we can serve others in love. Amen? Amen. I've spent most of my 24 years here as a pastor at Gulf Coast um, building relationally with pastors from across the whole spectrum of the city. But we want to now begin building on that to find ways that would, would serve them and that we can serve this community together. A lot of trust has already been built, and that trust is essential to the cause. It's interesting. I was having lunch a couple of weeks ago with someone, and, and we're talking about an effort to really provide a platform for helping churches work together in Tampa Bay. It's worked in other cities, and, and uh, so we're talking about how we can help have it work here in, in the community. And as we're finishing up, the person I was having lunch with said, who knows, we may spend five years trying to accomplish it and, and, or do it and accomplish nothing. To which I responded, true, but if we did, we would, have not, we would not have wasted our time. You see, if we strive to work in unity with the churches, we've decided to do the right thing. Ultimately, it's up to God whether that works or doesn't work, not us. But I'd rather be found on the day of judgment having done the right thing and failed than having succeeded greatly at the wrong thing. It also means that our idea of reaching the community isn't just getting people, into, in, people in other churches to come to our church. You know, run an advertising campaign that kind of sells people on the idea that we're a better game than the game they're in. That's not what we're about. As we go to the Lord's table this morning, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. There we read, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. There we read, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the same loaf. You see, this morning we're partaking of the Lord's table, but we're not partaking of a different loaf, a different Christ, than the churches across town that are partaking of that loaf. We're eating from that same loaf. And we are joined in the same Christ who gave himself for us. So let's contemplate that as, as we go to the Lord's table. And, and just to ask ourselves, ask the Lord to help us see attitudes that we might have that need adjusting in order to walk together in unity. And like I said, I've been working on this for most of my 24 years here. I still have attitudes I find that need working on. More often than I'd like. <laughs> 
I'd really like it not to be so frequently. So I, I, I would gather that we all could have some attitudes that need adjusting by the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we come to this table, prepare our hearts. <clears throat> Speak to us about areas where we need to bear with others, forgive others, be patient with others, be humble in our attitude. Lord, help us to put others in a place of greater honor than ourselves. True humility. Amen.